0: Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcast app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. listening to Dakota Spotlight, Season 7, Call Me Shelley, The Mysterious Disappearance of Michelle
1: Juleson. I used to have dreams that I was flying, put my arms out, and then I'd go sailing around all over, and what a wonderful, wonderful feeling. woke up and I looked at the ceiling and I said, God, as long as I'm up there flying around like that, would you please let me sail over where Shelly is?
0: In this episode, an interview with Shelly's parents, Wes and Linda. We'll also meet retired Bismarck police officer Rob Carvell. He responded to the original missing persons call in 1994 and reinvestigated Shelley's case in 2016. That and more coming up. But before we get started, I want to share this. I just spoke with Tony Holm, former bartender at the Burnt Creek Club. And as things stand at the time of this recording, we have an interview scheduled for later this week. Look for that interview in a future episode. I'm also in the process of trying to learn more about the Bismarck police officer named Don Schaefer, who allegedly harassed Shelley at the bar. Welcome to episode five.
2: How would you get abducted from 140 American to 300 block to East Broadway without somebody seeing it on a Tuesday afternoon?
3: I think something happened to her. I think somebody took her.
2: You need to call the police, and you need to get yourself a protection order. Burnt Creek Club. Bartender at the Burnt Creek
4: Club. I told her anytime after 2 o'clock she could stop by and pick him up, and she never did show. And
2: I was specifically looking for that car, Shelly's car. Was one of the group of allegedly harassing Shelly at the bar. But there was two two railroad workers, and I thought they talked to one.
0: Before we get into the in-depth interviews with Shelley's parents and a retired police officer, I've got a couple quick clips to play for you. You'll recall we learned from retired Bismarck investigator Bill Connor that Shelley had been telling Tony, or perhaps teasing Tony, that she'd met a new guy, and whoever this guy was, he was going through a divorce at the time. So who was this guy? From what we learned, there are a couple of possibilities. Remember John, one of Wes Juleson's co workers? Shelley's friend said that Shelley had plans to go camping with this guy. Was this the man Shelley was referring to when she was teasing Tony? But we've also been learning a lot about Rick Snell and all his coincidental connections to the people and places Shelley was associated with. We do know that Rick Snell was separated from his wife at the time, and that has us wondering could it have been Rick Snell Shelley was talking about? So, of course, I wanted to find out if that 40-year-old guy named John, who Shelley was going to go camping with that weekend, was in the middle of a divorce back in 1994. If he wasn't, that would be interesting to learn. It wouldn't prove that Shelley had been talking about Rick Snell when she talked to Tony. But as Sherlock Holmes might say, it would be a clue of some sort. I've been trying to get a hold of John for a while. I finally caught him on the phone and was able to ask him, by any chance were you going through a divorce in 1994? He remembered Shelley, and he said that they got to know each other just a little bit. He'd spoken to her at a bar in center North Dakota not long before she disappeared. Here he is.
1: I mean, I don't recall ever uh,
5: getting together with her or nothing. That's been so long ago, I guess, I
1: don't even remember.
0: And was he in the middle of a divorce back then?
1: Yeah, yeah, okay, I got divorced in 94.
0: So yes, John was going through a divorce in 1994. I'd say the odds are strong. John was a person Shelley was talking about when she told Tony she'd met some new guy. Also, let's meet Sheila Hale. Sheila was Shelley's supervisor at the Fort Abraham Lincoln Foundation. Shelley's cold case file states that Shelley called the F.A.L.F. on that fateful Tuesday morning to ask what time the paychecks would be ready. I spoke with Sheila outside of her home in Bismarck. I want to point out one detail here, though. I'm speaking to Sheila in 2022. That's 28 years after that last phone conversation. Sheila states to me here that she told Shelly the paychecks would be ready at 2 p.m. But I want to note that 28 years ago, when I assume her memory was much fresher, in the original police reports, Sheila stated that she told Shelly the checks would be ready at 1 p.m. This is important because as we know, Shelley dropped off Jaden at twelve thirty, and we might speculate where she was headed next. Shelley had apparently also mentioned to Richard Woodworth that she needed to get gas in her car, so a reasonable scenario for Shelley would have been to leave Richard's home, stop for gas, that is, assuming she had any money at all to purchase gas, and then go to the FALF office in downtown Bismarck. Could you just tell tell us who you are real quick? Sheila Heil? And you knew uh, Shelley.
4: Yes, I was her boss at the time she disappeared for uh, the Fort Lincoln Foundation. Right. Um, like I said, I worked with her out at Burnt Creek and out at the Bowling Alley. We would work
0: together. You had a story there about the last time you talked to her, which was the day she, last time anyone saw her actually was that Tuesday.
4: Yes, yeah, she had called the office and wanted to know when the checks were going to be ready because she was going to stop by and get them or get her check, and told her any time after 2 o'clock she could stop by and pick him up, and she never did show. She was a fun gal to work with, to be around, you know, and it was just surprising that she never came to pick up her check and, you know, and not getting her little boy, because she thought highly of her son. She lived check to check.
0: Oh, it says here that you said that Michelle told Tony that she was upset at Kevin, the father of her son, but she wouldn't talk about it over the phone. Do you remember any of that?
4: No, I don't remember A any long. of that. A no. long time ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that they said that they found her car at the Comfort Inn. Yep. You know, it's like why didn't they search for prints or something there, you know? Yeah. But other than that, it's just strange. Then I heard rumors that she um, took off with some guys that worked at the railroad that were staying there.
0: Do you think she would have left her son like that?
4: No, I don't. Not at that time. I don't think she would have.
0: Let's meet Shelly's friend, Holly.
3: My name is Holly Ness. I am from Bismarck.
0: Holly met Shelly through work before Shelley was working in gaming.
3: At Red Lobster, and then she quit and she got a, a different job, but we remained friends. She's a fun-loving girl. She liked to party. Um, we went out occasionally and had fun. And we hung around with a lot of the same crowd and a lot of servers and uh, blackjack dealers. She did not have a steady boyfriend at the time, so part of her was depressed. She did some drugs. It was like marijuana. I mean, I don't think she was ever into anything more than that. Do I think she ran away? I don't. I really don't. I think somebody took her. I really do. I wish that um, there would have been more investigating from the people that said they saw her in Detroit Lakes. If they did say originally that they talked to her. But I don't know that they went very far with to see if she was actually still alive.
0: Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad free. That's right. No more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. I'd like to introduce you now to retired law enforcement officer Robbie Carvell. He is the cop that responded to Richard and Kevin's initial missing persons call.
2: Started in 1985 with the Great Falls, Montana Police Department. Worked eight years there then with Bismarck Police Department in 93 to 2013.
0: Rob Carvel was not a detective on the force. He stayed on patrol for the entirety of his 28-year career, and that's where he
2: liked to be. It was always fun being the first guy to bar fight or domestic, and in the excitement with that. So,
0: After retiring, Rob Carvel volunteered to look into the Shelley Juleson cold case. He did this in 2016, pro bono, on his free time. There were more than one cold case at the time. I asked him why he chose Shelley's case.
2: Maybe because I took the initial report, and maybe because the ball was dropped early on when they took her out of NCIC and, and gave the car back. And, and, you know, so maybe I felt so bad that it was handled poorly at that point.
0: Rob is referring to what happened after the WeFest sighting. Shelley was taken out of the National Crime Information Center database and her car released to the Julesons without being properly processed. Rob Carvel remembers responding when Kevin and Richard reported Shelley missing.
2: Like 9.40 in the evening, I got called to 1.40 American, which was Richard's uh, trailer, and Kevin was there. Jaden, their son, his three-year-old son, I did not see. They said he was sleeping in the back. Um, but they were concerned about, about, uh, concerned about her not showing up to pick up Jaden.
0: In his re-investigation of 2016, Rob began his work by going through Shelley's cold case file. Once he came up for air, Rob honed in on what he considered to be the most likely scenario. He believes Kevin Woodworth or Richard Woodworth or both of them may have been involved in her disappearance. And he acknowledges that he didn't put much focus or time exploring other potential trails, such as railroad workers or Tony Holm or Rick Snell.
2: You know, I, I honestly, personally, did not look at them. I just, I just, uh, boy, once I got in, Kevin, it was. I thought that. Carvel
0: re-examined Kevin's movements on Tuesday and looked more into his past relationships. He also looked closer at Richard Woodworth. Regarding Kevin Woodworth, he says.
2: You know, when I'm reading the reports, I see one, two, three, four, five people. Let's say Shelly was physically afraid of him or he was physically abusive.
0: Rob Carvel also makes this argument. At one point, Richard Woodworth called Bismarck PD and told them they should look at the motorcycle rally in Sturgis, South Dakota, saying she was likely abducted by bikers. Kevin will also state in later interviews that he thinks Shelly was abducted. Rob Carvell feels that like Kevin and Richard may have been trying to steer the investigation in the wrong direction. Because for Rob, this fact remains. The last person to see Shelly was Richard Woodworth. Shelly drops off Jaden, she's broke, she's planning to pick up her paycheck, and it's something she dearly needed.
2: The the, the thing that to me was probably the main one was she drops Jaden off at twelve thirty. They're cutting the checks at Fort Abraham Lincoln at 1 o'clock. She called and found that out that morning. They said she routinely did that and was there to pick up her check pronto because she had creditors to pay. And and she was always routinely broken and frantic for the money. She drops Jaden off at 1230 and disappears. 140 American Avenue, where Richard lives, is about a mile from where Fort Abraham Lincoln Foundation had their offices at 309 East Broadway, downtown Bismarck. How does someone get abducted from, not saying she couldn't have went somewhere else first and something happened, but it's not a likely scenario. How would you get abducted from 140 American to 300 block East Broadway without somebody seeing it on a noon... On a Tuesday afternoon, it's like I don't think she 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 left that trailer. I really don't.
0: And if Shelley didn't leave that trailer alive, well then, Rob learned what he could about Richard Woodworth. He started by talking to Shelley's son, Jaden Woodworth. When Carvel spoke to him in two thousand sixteen, Jaden was now twenty five years old. Jaden told Carvel about his grandmother, Richard's wife.
2: Jaden said that she later developed Alzheimer's and that Richard kept her locked in the back of the trailer house. And finally, West Central Human Services got involved because apparently she was even living in her own feces back there. And this was according to Jaden.
0: One interesting thing Rob Carvel did was to re-examine Kevin's work day on August 2nd. When Kevin was interviewed in 1994, he explained that he had worked at his job site until he was kicked out by the cleaning crew in the mid-afternoon. After that, he drove to another site to speak to his foreman, who put him to work on other tasks. Rob Carvell wonders, was this simply Kevin Woodworth going about his workday, or was it something else?
2: I believe that he needed to go back and talk to his boss to show that he was there and then, because he knew the cops were probably gonna be asking, where was he? And this shows that I was there, you know, it helps. It doesn't establish a strong alibi, but it, it indicates I was at work. You know, they know I got there in the morning and I made an appearance in the middle of the afternoon.
0: In other words, Rob Carvell speculates that Kevin Woodworth was at Richard's trailer during his lunch hour when Shelley showed up with Jaden. Perhaps Shelley shows up with Jaden and some kind of confrontation takes place. Maybe things get out of hand.
2: This incident happened. uh, You know, it wouldn't surprise me if he kept pushing the pushing the envelope with her, or if he just meant to scare her one time or hurt her, and it went too far.
0: This would be a good time to remind ourselves that nobody has been arrested or charged with Shelley's disappearance, and that everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Also, Kevin Woodworth has respectfully declined to comment on our reporting. A background check we did on Kevin only shows one minor traffic violation. I asked Rob about Tony Holm, bartender at Burnt Creek Club. Remember, Tony left town three weeks after Shelly disappeared. Shelly had told people she was afraid that Tony might hurt her if he got drunk. She also said Tony's friends were harassing her.
2: I wouldn't have a motive for Tony, Kim Borner or Sanderson. She said Tony is her confidant and she goes to Tony with her problems. He was the one that apparently broke up with Michelle, although he'd go back and see her sometimes, you know. It seemed like he could have sex with her whenever he wanted. He used her to get rides for a vehicle. There was no reason for him to be unhappy with the relationship.
0: But even if Tony Holm had no reason to be unhappy with his relationship with Shelley, his new girlfriend might have been.
2: And I, I don't know what kind of history Jenny has, you know, and before that or after that, I never looked at a criminal record.
0: I did, however. We ran a background check on Jenny. She has no serious criminal record. The only things listed are a couple of minor
2: traffic violations. And of course you got to play the odds. You, you know this, that they're going to look at the husband or the boyfriend closely. And a male before a female is more and more propensity for, for a homicide.
0: Another thing that Rob Carvel discovered was that a handgun belonging to Kevin Woodworth had turned up in Fargo. The gun
2: has taken off some guys doing some drug dealers in Fargo. And the ATF traces it to Kevin.
0: So the police talk to Kevin and ask him, hey, what's your gun doing in Fargo? He said, well, it must have been stolen. Kevin had a theory of who might have stolen his gun, a friend he let stay with him for a while who stole some other things.
2: And they got most of the stuff back. You know, it was just like cologne and some shirts and maybe some, like, a little bit of jewelry, a watch or something.
0: Rob Carvell finds it suspicious that Kevin didn't know his gun was missing.
2: I can't imagine that if I got people somebody stole from me that I wouldn't check my handguns. That just didn't ring true to me.
0: On the other hand, if I kill someone with a gun, I'm not selling it either, or giving it away. I'm throwing it in the river.
2: And, and I think most people would. But and, and I'm not saying, you know who knows, if Shelly was killed, what, 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 what were yeah, the cool. means? I don't know.
0: Another thing Rob Carvell did was speak to Kevin's brother. He asked him outright if he thought his father and brother were capable of having killed Shelley. Rob says his answer surprised him a bit.
2: He didn't say no, he didn't say yes. He just said, I don't think they're smart enough to get away with it.
0: Another thing on Rob Carvell's mind is this.
2: So Richard lives at 140 American. And now Kevin moved, I think it was maybe roughly 98, to 239 Boeing, which is a trailer court directly behind.
0: That's right. Up until very recently, Kevin lived next door to his father, Richard, with adjacent yards. Richard or Kevin could walk out their door, walk into their backyard, and be in the other yard within a few seconds. Rob Carvel says that with cold cases like this one, it's tempting to speculate about where a body might be buried.
2: I actually talked to some of the detectives about getting a... a a dog down there, a cadaver dog. The, the trailer that Richard lived in has now been towed out of there and somebody else is in there.
0: As you will hear later in my interview with Wes and Linda, the Julesons question how police handled their daughter's case, especially in the long run. As we've learned in episodes one, two, and three, Detective Walls, Emmert, Thompson, and others did initially take her disappearance seriously. Lieutenant Heinley asked BCI for help with an aerial search and with polygraph tests. Emmert prowled through the Bismarck gaming scene looking for answers. Walls and others sniffed out hotels and performed interviews. What comes into question, however, is several things that Bismarck PD did not do. They didn't treat some key places as crime scenes. They didn't question a police lieutenant, one of their own. And what about those 104 pages missing from Shelley's police file? I mean, I have this right, that Richard's home Kevin's apartment and Shelly's trailer, none of those were ever processed, right?
2: No, you know, uh, like the detectives went in and looked through her Shelly's trailer at 714 West Suite. No, they never processed the trailer, never processed the car.
0: I, of course, asked Rob for his thoughts on Rick Snell, employee at Great Lines. He points out the same thing that Detective Bill Connor noted. Rick Snell punched out of work at 6.30 on that Tuesday evening. That's about three hours after Shelly was expected to pick up Jaden.
2: As far as I could tell he worked the day that Shelley disappeared. He was working. He quit work and disappeared the next day, but he was working that day.
0: So, if Rick Snell was somehow involved or responsible for Shelley's disappearance, both Connor and Carvel note that Shelley would have had to met him or run into him later in the evening. It's not impossible, but they don't feel that piece of the puzzle fits quite as well as they might hope. There is a whole section, 104 pages of the police report that is is—it's not missing because it states clearly that Heinle told Walls to remove it. And that is during this interim after the WeFest thing before, they, before a few months go by and people are like, she's still not back.
2: It's, it's inexplicable. Um, I've never, as a police officer, if you, you have a report and you have things in evidence you don't just destroy them there 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 should have been the evidence sheets should have still and there should have been copies of it all attached to the report I, I understand that sometimes you have to clean out the evidence room you run out of room you get rid of the old stuff that cases are dead or whatever you know that that case has been prosecuted we can destroy that that marijuana or those drugs you know or you know we can put this in police auction now but there should have been copies of that attached to the report there weren't, that I saw, um, why, you would, why, why you would find any urgency to destroy them as well, it's, it's, it's inexplicable.
0: Which documents are missing? The obvious one to me is the, the list of guests at the hotel.
2: That, that's all I can assume, especially when it was that many, um, and, and Connor had checked. I double-checked. Yeah, they're long gone. The Comfort Inn does not have them anymore. I don't know what they did with them.
0: Would be nice to have today, though, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see who was there. You know, there might be a name that pops out at you.
0: I asked Rob about Don Schaefer, the Bismarck police officer who was allegedly harassing Shelley Juleson at the Burnt Creek Club. There's no mention anywhere in Shelley's cold case file that Don Schaefer was interviewed about any of this.
2: Yeah, you know, he, he was a lieutenant at the police department, kind of high up. And uh, he was one of the group of allegedly harassing Shelley at the bar. But as far as just being interviewed, no, you know, and I don't know if that was like, I don't, I don't know why that would be. You would think they'd certainly ask him.
0: I'm in the process of learning more about Don Schaefer. It looks like he may have been arrested and charged for assault and menacing in 1996.
2: Well, there certainly was one incident that we're well aware of where he got arrested.
0: Don Schaefer is now deceased. Hopefully I can tell you more in the next episode, which I hope will also include an interview with Tony Holm. I've also spoken with both Rob Carvel and Bill Connor about one detail of Shelley's car. Once Shelley's car was released to her parents, Wes Juleson noticed some scoria dirt on the manifold. Scoria is a type of red dirt found in western North Dakota and eastern Montana. West Jilson thought this was odd.
2: There was scoria dust in the intake valve, and I never did see that in any reports. He couldn't think of any reason why she would have been driving on scoria-type roads. So that was, it was interesting. I don't know what it means.
0: Interestingly, when I spoke with Bill Connor, he noted that Rick Snell owned or had access to land out in Montana. You may recall that Bill Connor said he never spoke with Richard Woodworth. Rob Carvel did, however.
2: Didn't really get too too far. He seemed agitated that we wouldn't let this this drop. You know why he's still still digging into this. You know, which which is odd to me. You know, and shortly after we interviewed him, he went into a nursing home, and I didn't know he was in this nursing home, and he passed away. I wish that I had known he was there. I would have went in one of his last days cuz sometimes people are much more open to telling you things if they know their life is about over. And I would have liked to look through the trailer once he was dead and and so there's there's some perhaps perhaps we maybe we could you know the trailer could be tracked down yet there and yeah. It was it wasn't in great shape so I don't know what happened to it.
0: I'd like to thank Rob Carvell for sharing his thoughts on the Shelley Juleson case. After the break, we'll meet Shelley's parents, Wes and Linda. Wes and Linda Jilson live in Center, North Dakota. I sat down with them recently in their kitchen. They served me coffee, showed me photos of their daughter, Shelly, and her brother, Sean, who passed away in 2005.
1: One thing about Shelley was she was very caring about other people. And I possibly could be probably talked into helping somebody and then that help went sour and something happened that way. Because she just, she was, she opened her heart to just about anybody, I think. And, uh, you know, she was a caring person. She was very
5: good, very good child. Sean was a, a (laughs) he was, tested his mother a lot when he was little. You know, he was into something all the time and when she she got older, she said, "Mom, she said when we were little, when Sean and I were little, Sean was the little devil and I was the little angel, right?" I said, "Yeah." When we got older, we changed places, didn't we? <laughs> That's you know her humor. <laughs> she was a little more, she was, I don't know, she wasn't that difficult, but she was. She tried, me, you know, once in a while when she was growing up.
0: I asked the Jilsons if they thought Shelley might have just ran off.
5: I don't think so, you know, like I said, she was so proud of her little boy. I mean, she'd look forward to that check. She'd pick up that check first, you know, it's... Whatever she did.
0: Linda recalled a memory that she feels demonstrates Shelley's concern and love for her son. Linda was babysitting Jaden one day and took him outside to play. Shelley tried to call her mom on the phone a few times, but wasn't able to reach her.
5: She was trying to get a hold of me, you know, to see how he was. And uh, when she couldn't get a hold of me, she was pretty worried, you know, something had happened to him, you know, and, uh, you know, that's the way she was.
1: Shelley had complained about a member of the police force at work. while well, the guy that was harassing her was still in the force.
5: Well, when I brought it up to, to, to Sergeant Wall, or whatever his name was, uh, I, I told him about it, and he said, he outranks me, I can't, I can't do anything about it.
0: Wall said that? Wall yeah. said that. Wes Jilson told his daughter, Shelley he wanted to go to the Burnt Creek Club and sit there, you know, like a fly on the wall, and observe all this and see if he could witness Schaefer or others harassing his daughter. He was ready to confront these people.
1: And uh, she's no, 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 I don't want you to do that. She wouldn't let me do it. But I should have done it anyway.
5: I, and I, I, I said that to Sergeant Connor, what does the police department have to Hide? What are they hiding? Or what, we you know?
0: I asked the Julesons if Detective Connor, or anyone, had told them that there are 104 pages missing from Shelley's file, or to be more accurate, that Lieutenant Heinle instructed Walls to remove a whole section of the file after the WeFest sighting.
1: Well, he didn't say anything about that. But he, uh, he brought up things they didn't do, the shabbiness of what they were doing.
5: Well, like I say, from almost day one, what's the police department trying to hide?
1: But what could we do? I made some mistakes at that time, and if I had it to do all over, I would do something different, but I put my complete trust in the police department.
0: Sounds like you're blaming yourself a little bit, which you Well, yeah, you
1: better believe it, but... uh, I didn't push issues that I felt that they were not doing, you know, and I probably could have. And like I say, if I had it to do over, I'd make different ways that I would have handled it. But we, we, we trusted them.
5: We thought they were going to do their, their job, you know, the
1: best that they could. I told them, I said, did you ever uh, check the crawl space under this trailer? And they said, no.
0: As you can hear, the Julesons have some animosity towards the police department.
1: And I always will have. Because I don't think they did any kind of a job at all on trying to find Shelley. And of course, I mean, after it hit that, hey, she's really gone, you know, it, it was, it was tough. That's, that's our, That
5: detective, Wall, even, he told me, she's 26 years old, she can go if she wants to.
0: I asked the Julesons if they felt their daughter was afraid of Kevin.
5: I think she was. You know, um, there was one time I, I would go down and stay with her sometimes when on my days off, and there was one time that he wanted to talk to her. And uh, she was very hesitant about it, and she wasn't saying too much. And I said, Shelly, I said, are you scared of him? And she said, yeah. They had an incident where, you know, I mean, she, she was uh, liked to go out, have fun. Yeah. And uh, Kevin was, had Jaden, and uh, when she went to get him the next morning, he wasn't going to let her, let her have him. In the police, that's in the report too, police were involved.
0: I should point out here that while I've not seen the original police report from this dispute between Kevin and Shelley, in interviews with Kevin in later years, he stated that the reason he didn't want to allow Shelley to take Jaden that morning was because Shelley smelled like alcohol and he didn't feel it was safe for her to be driving. I also asked the Julesons what they knew about Richard Woodworth, Kevin's father. Richard is now deceased.
5: At one time, when Shelley started going with Kevin, she uh, told me that Kevin's mother had mental problems, and uh, kind of accepted it as that. Later on, we got to meet, got to meet them, got to know them a little bit. I told Shelley, if she's got mental problems, it's because of him. <laughs> I mean, he's a wacko. You know, he's just a complete wacko. <laughs> Yes, I thought he was. A lot of times I thought, well, Kevin just kind of acted like he thought, you know, that thought the world of him and didn't say much about his mother. She was a very nice person. She very really nice was. Person.
0: Linda also recalled for me one of the first times she spoke to Kevin after Shelley went missing.
5: Kevin and Richard had, would have had been two of the last people that had seen her. And I was wondering... Asked Kevin, what was she? Did she seem like something was bothering her, or did she, you know? And and then he uh turned to his dad, and he said, Well, we didn't see Michelle, did we? Did we? <laughs> I said, Kevin, you had to have, because you had You and you had to take him home, back home. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. No, it didn't seem like anything was bothering her.
0: And what about Tony Holm, I asked them?
5: Well, she wasn't happy with how he treated her. You know, he was, um... um, She was dealing blackjack out there and he was working and, and he'd be hanging on other women, stuff like that, which hurt her feelings. She did tell me at one time that, um... He was, you know, he came knocking on her door, and he was drunk or under the influence of something, and and uh, she didn't let him in. She did tell me that.
0: The Julsons recalled a couple of other ways that Shelley had been getting harassed.
5: Well, I remember Shelley saying that some woman would go through her, the lot, you know, screaming and hollering, leaving him alone or something. Maybe it was Tony's new girlfriend,
1: I don't know. She had called a couple of times one of the cars that she had when she was at work. And then she got up the next morning and she said she had two flat tires. And they were on the same side of the car and they were right in the middle of the tread. And me being what I am and things that happen with vehicles, I kind of poo-pooed it. this. She ran over a stake or, or something, being they were both on the same side, you know. So I kind of poo-pooed that away until not much later, of course. And her car, the, the Thunderbird she drove, they had just taken the emblems off of the side of the car, destroyed them, and keyed the car.
0: Wes Jilson spent a lot of time looking for his daughter Shelley. He traveled to eastern North Dakota and to Minnesota several times.
1: I went to hospitals and I went to all different places and given posters and stuff. Just about every place I could think of to put them, I went to sheriff's departments, I went to fire stations uh, and put posters up. Yeah. So then I went to Shabin, she worked in the gambling thing. I took off and I went to uh, the casino over there in case she wanted to get a job there or something, you know, if she was. Mm -hmm. And at the casino I went in and I asked them, I said, can I put up some posters on my daughter? She's been missing for a while. No, you can't do that. More or less escorted me out of there. But on the way back to this motel then there was a, highway patrolman sitting on the side of the road. And this was after the festival was getting over, you know. I stopped and I walked up to him and I had a poster. And I said, sir, I said, I was just out at the casino out there and they wouldn't let me put this poster up. And it was a sergeant of the highway patrol in Detroit Lakes there. And he looked at me and he looked at the poster and he said, you go back there. And you tell them that I said they should post them. Well, I never did go back, cause I, but I was really amazed at how it affected him. Even and he, but he told me he said, "You don't ever want to come looking for a missing person in the in the Wefest." He said because you will never find him. And he was honest about it because there were what thirty, forty thousand people there or whatever it was. I found out people were taking those posters down around the area here anyway about as fast as i was putting them up
0: really in center
1: yeah well not in center in bismarck Uh and i don't know about out on the road i think they even took some of them down because i'd check them whenever i went back to detroit lakes or whatever In detroit lakes i went to places that people said they thought they had saw her there you know, and this and that. So I went to those places and checked, and I even very interesting in some ways. When I was putting these posters up, I didn't realize that there were so many people missing, and I talked to people, and it was hurtful. But I'd show them the poster and say, "My daughter's missing." And some of them would cry. Mm-hmm. Some of them were real supporting my looking. But there were some that told me, she's not alive. She's been cut up and butchered oh. and raped and everything.
2: People told you that?
1: Yes.
0: I asked Wes Juleson, what advice does he have for other families of missing persons?
1: Well, one of the first things I'd say is don't give up. Keep them in your memory and in your heart. Have faith that it's a possibility that they are out there. And I still think it could happen that she might show up. <laughs> yeah, don't give up, just keep having faith. In my heart, I still feel she's out there. She is out there somewhere. I just don't want to let go. There used to be a time, not well, it's been quite a few years now, actually, but I used to have dreams that I was flying, that I would put my arms out and I'd go sailing around all over and what a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And it got so I could really go and do this, and then I got to thinking, well, I can even pick up a passenger. And I looked up at the ceiling, I woke up and I looked at the ceiling and I said, God, as long as I'm up there flying around like that, would you please Let me sail over where Shelly is. And then I woke up completely, and I haven't had that dream since.
0: Thank you for listening to Dakota Spotlight. In a future episode of this season, I hope to bring you an interview with Tony Holm, former bartender at Burnt Creek Club. And I hope to tell you more about Don Schaefer, the police officer who was allegedly harassing Shelley at the Burnt Creek Club. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications, written, researched, and recorded by me, James Wallner. Special thanks to my colleagues at Forum Communications for lending us their voices. That's Jim Manny, Tricia Terinskas, Chris Kurzman, and Jeremy Fugelberg. Music by Wowza in Kalamazoo. You can check them out by searching Wowza in Kalamazoo on bandcamp.com. And why not join the Dakota Spotlight Facebook group or follow me on Twitter at Dakota Spotlight. Once again, until next time, thank you so much for listening to Dakota Spotlight.